0: Will you turn this evening then to Mark's Gospel and to chapter 5? Mark's Gospel and chapter 5. Let me give you a brief summary of the first part of this chapter. The Lord Jesus with his disciples comes to the country of the Gadarenes on the other side of the sea of Galilee and there he meets a man with an unclean spirit who describes his name as legion because he is possessed by a great horde of unclean spirits and the Lord Christ sends the spirits out of him and uh, th- legion begs Christ that Christ would not send them out of the country, so he sends them into this great herd of swine, of pigs, and the unclean spirits go out, enter the 2,000 pigs, and they run violently down the steep place into the sea and are drowned in the sea. So those who fed those pigs ran away, and they told it in the city and in the country, and everybody goes out to see what has happened. Let me read to you now from verse 16 of Mark 5. And those who, oh, sorry, verse 15. Mark 5, verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, in the ten cities, all that Jesus had done for him. And all marvelled. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask that you would teach us now by your word and by your spirit how we may honour you. That we might understand better what happens in the soul of someone who is saved by your grace and what it means to make that known in a way that brings glory to your name. Father, instruct us, we ask, through Christ our Saviour. Amen. Over the last few weeks and months, both publicly and privately, I've been encouraging people to be ready to give their testimony. Now, what does that even mean? Well, there are people who are now saying that they have been saved by the grace of God and they want to be baptized and become a part of the church. There are other people who have already been baptised and have been part of another congregation in a different place, and they're also saying they want to become a part of this congregation. And so, in accordance with our constitution as a church, we're saying, will you please prepare your testimony? Now, some people are finding that difficult. I think most people actually find that difficult in certain ways, but let me suggest some of the reasons that have been given or might be going on in terms of the challenge of what it means to give your testimony. I think one difficulty is that we are living in days when there are fewer fresh testimonies of conversion. How many stories of God's grace have you heard, let's say, in the last 12 months for the first time? When people become part of this church, probably at least as much as if they're being converted, there are transfers of membership. And the story gets a bit longer. It's much rarer in these days for us to hear people stand up and say this is how I became a Christian and so we don't always have many good examples before us then some people are coming from different backgrounds and have different expectations perhaps they've not had to do this before they've had to do it in a different place or in a different way and they're not sure whether or not they've got the right pattern or the right model I think some people are just afraid of doing it wrong. I'll come back to the idea of giving a wrong testimony in due course. Some people have had a bad experience. Uh, If you were at uh, Ella Lammas's funeral recently, I told the story of when Ella gave her testimony. And most of you who knew her will know that Ella was not in any sense an academic. Uh, She didn't glory in her lack of instruction. She just acknowledged it and faced it full on. Ella didn't have a particularly rich theological vocabulary. Ella couldn't tell you a great deal about uh, some of the the, uh, particulars of uh, a theological system. But Ella trusted and loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Ella gave her testimony, she told that story simply and sweetly. And somebody said, I don't think she's a Christian. She didn't use the word justification. Like there's some kind of marking system like there's some kind of bar that you have to clear. Maybe you're worried that you won't use the right words or say the right things. What I want to try and do this evening in in a different kind of sermon is to help you, direct you and encourage you if you have a story of God's grace, how to tell it and that you can and should tell it. Now, there are not actually a great many examples of giving your testimony in the scriptures either. Some of them, though, are quite interesting. Psalm 32. It may not be the story of a conversion, but certainly of a restoration. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute or count iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin that's a testimony isn't it that's a personal declaration of your experience of how God has had mercy upon you there's a lovely little example in the book of the Acts Acts chapter 9 and verse 27 this is significant because it helps us to understand why we do what we do and how we do it so It's not 937, it's 927. So Saul of Tarsus has become a Christian. Now Saul was a persecutor of other Christians up to that point. But now Saul has become a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, he's already been preaching in the synagogue in Damascus that the Christ is the Son of God. But when he arrives in Jerusalem, in verse 26, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. That makes sense to us, doesn't it? The persecutors come. Maybe he's just pretending to be a Christian. We aren't sure what's going on. We don't believe he's really a follower of Jesus. Now notice verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. How was it that Paul joined the church in Jerusalem? They weren't sure about him to begin with. They didn't know what his story was. And Barnabas took him and brought him in, and the story was told. Saul has seen the Lord on the road. Christ has spoken to him. His life has been changed, and now he's preaching boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And the church in Jerusalem said, Ah, he's one of us. Welcome him in. You get a different kind of testimony from Saul of Tarsus or Paul the Apostle as he becomes known in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. These are slightly different because Paul is declaring his apostolic credentials. But the way that Paul speaks of what he was before, what happened when he met Christ and how he has lived afterward, give us something of an example of a testimony to the saving grace of God in the heart and life of a particular person. Here's Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world sinners to save, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering or patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a lovely short one. Paul's actually giving it on Timothy's behalf. Chapter 3 and verse 15 of 2 Timothy. Timothy, I want you to continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That's a testimony. What was your story, Timothy? I've known from childhood the scriptures that were able to make me wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I heard the truth from my mother, my grandmother, I have believed, and now I am following him. They're different lengths, different people, very different experiences, but there's a common core here. And I want to take you back now to Mark chapter 5 and verse 19 to think about what our Lord says to the Gadarene demoniac as perhaps the most compact explanation of what it means for you to give your testimony of God's grace your testimony of God's grace go home to your friends and tell them what great things the lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you that's a testimony go home To your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. The Lord Jesus sent that man home to give his testimony. Now, notice what is not involved. Christ didn't send him to tell the story of how he saved himself. This man is not the hero of the story, he's the man who needs to be saved. He is not the centre of attention. He's not going to go home and say, yeah, I saw this guy Jesus of Nazareth coming off the boat and I thought, maybe he can help me out a little bit. So I picked myself up and I went down and we kind of had struck a bit of a deal and I managed to drive the demons out of my own soul. And now I've come back to tell everybody what I have accomplished. That's not a testimony of God's grace Is it? He's not the object or the center of attention. And sometimes you hear what could be a testimony. And it's all about a man who isn't Jesus Christ. All about a woman. And the attention is on them and they become the hero of their own story. Now related to that, the Lord Jesus didn't tell him to go home and explain the story of just how lost he was. Because there are too many testimonies today where someone's not so much the hero but they become the anti-hero and they dwell on the depths of the darkness in which they were lost and again it's a strange sort of almost a perverted pride drawing attention to oneself and it's really actually quite I think it's quite damaging you may have heard the kind of testimony where afterwards you say well I can't measure up to that Now I wasn't that wicked for that long and I didn't go that far. This is some kind of heroic testimony. This is a great crisis. What an incredible sinner that person was and how great must have been the grace of God that dealt with such a terrible, wretched man. But the emphasis is again in the wrong place. Not on the Christ who saves, but on the sin and on the sinner. He doesn't tell him to go home and give a general talk on how people can be saved. This is not somebody else's experience of salvation. It's not a general lecture on soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. It's not a sermon. Again, sometimes, and some of this depends on gift and inclination, but you end up with the reality of God's work in the soul lost in this great rolling lecture about how salvation happens. And sometimes people are showing then how much they've learned. Jesus didn't tell them, this man, to go back and show off about what he knew. Or to explain how he became not just a Christian, but a real Christian, a reformed Christian, a proper Calvinist, how he acquired a profound theological grasp now we are a particular or calvinistic reformed baptist church but the church is for christians and that's the nub of the matter he doesn't send him back to tell the story of perhaps how the people in the ten towns thought he could or should have been saved And again, sometimes we have these images or these templates or these expectations loaded upon us. And some of you may have come from a background where you have those kinds of templates loaded on you. So if perhaps you've come from a charismatic background or a Pentecostal background, maybe there needs to be some distinct experience Perhaps you need to hear a word from the Lord at a particular time. Uh, Maybe there needs to be speaking in tongues in order to say, well, you really were converted. And there may be people who say, well, what then should I say? Because that's what I thought I needed to say in order to prove things. Or you get some of the hyper-Calvinistic or gospel standard templates. And the question becomes, well, did you suffer hard enough deeply enough darkly enough for long enough for me to think that maybe you become a christian and very often there's a there's a there's a, almost like a timeline and unless you can tell a story that matches the timeline maybe it's uh, some leader's timeline there's there's a book that's been written and your testimony is meant to follow the map quite precisely and if it doesn't your testimony is suspect Christ doesn't put the wrong words into this man's mouth. Now you might say, that's not a challenge I face, those aren't difficulties or temptations. But look then positively at what the Lord Jesus does instruct. Go home to your friends, tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you the Lord sends this man home to tell a story of God's grace to a sinner that's why I keep putting that emphasis it's the story of God's grace to a sinner now you do not tell this story because your parents want you to It's not because dad or mum are putting the pressure on, turning the screw. They're desperate to see you make a profession of faith and you actually get to the point of saying, well, I will, just to just honestly, just to keep them quiet for a bit longer. It's not because your friends are all doing it. That can happen. I've seen that in a congregation where there were young people, one after the other, giving their testimony. But I think some of them... And the after events proved it. They were doing it because everybody else was doing it as well. And many of them didn't last the course. It's not, I should say, because you've heard a sermon about giving testimonies. That's not why you tell a story of grace. It's because you want to honour the Christ who has saved you from your sins. Go home to your friends. He's going to tell this story to people who know him. People who are in a position to ask, does what he says match up with what he is? We know a bit of the history, and he's coming to tell us about it. It's one of the reasons, especially you boys and girls, when one of you says, I think I've become a Christian, I say, that's wonderful. Let me talk to Dad and Mum. Well, they're going to see, aren't they? Let me ask your brothers and sisters. Wouldn't they see a change in you if you said you'd become a Christian? Isn't going to alter things the way you live at home? Go home to your friends. They'll be able to see and tell them something. Carry a message to them. The language of proclamation starts being used. It's an unashamed declaration. This is a story that cannot and should not be hidden. Now we need to be careful here because some people are shy and some people really don't like standing up in front of other people, and that's perfectly fine. But if someone says to me, I've been saved from my sins by the glorious grace of Jesus Christ, I don't want to tell anybody ever. Am I not entitled to say, Are you sure? Different question to, I'm not going to find this easy. Different question to, I don't quite know how to do this. Different question to, what if I break down in tears while I'm doing it? All of that may be the case. But consistently, Christ calls his disciples to some kind of public declaration. And I've sometimes said to people, if you can't tell it to your brothers and sisters in Christ, how in the world are you going to tell it to the world outside? If we don't talk to one another about what God is doing in us, how on earth are we going to tell anybody else what God can do for sinners? Carry a message to them. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. What the Lord has done for you and what the Lord has done in you. Now you see where the focus is. The great things that God has done for you. The compassion that the Lord has shown toward you. It is a story of divine deliverance. Look what God has done for me. Now, if you go back to some of those examples that we looked at earlier, Psalm 32. Where's the emphasis? What's the story that that man tells of his experience of God's grace? Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is the great thing that the Lord has done for him, and this is how he has had compassion upon him. Or you in Acts chapter 9 and verse 27? Saul of Tarsus, are you really one of us? Yes. Let me tell you about how this man met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and how Christ spoke to him, and how immediately afterwards he went and began to proclaim that Christ in Damascus. It's the same thing in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. Who is the great actor in Paul's testimony? I was a sinner, but God found me and God saved me and God sent me in order to do his bidding. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. Yes, before I was a violent and insolent and blasphemous man, but grace was shown to me. God has demonstrated his patience and his mercy in the life of a wretch like me. This is the good news worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Or Timothy, what happened to you, Timothy? I've always known the Bible. My mum told me. Grandma told me. And in it, I was made wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy might have said, do I, do I need a Damascus Road experience? Have I got to be brought as low as David in Psalm 32? Do, do I need to have the kind of experience? And to... No, Timothy. No, I need to know what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Quietly, gently, peacefully. Maybe nobody knew when young Timothy became a Christian. It doesn't undermine his testimony. Sometimes people emphasize that moment, that second. What's your second birthday? What was the hour, even the minute, when you passed from death unto life? Sometimes people can tell you. I walked into that building, not a Christian, I walked out believing. I remember the evening when I prayed. I remember the morning when I woke up and asked God to save me. Others are more like the man in John chapter 10. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. It's a story of glorious grace. The emphasis is God's free favor toward a sinner like me. It's a story of matchless mercy. How the holy God has smiled in favor in Christ. Upon you. Some of you have heard me say, I want to know where the Lord found you, how he saved you, and how he's led you. Does that map over this kind of experience? Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion upon you. What might he have said? You know the man I was, you know the misery I was in, you know my bondage. I don't need to tell you how I was amongst the tombs crying out and cutting myself with stones. All the evidence is upon me. And then a man got off the boat. I came running down toward him and I was speaking to him. Perhaps this man barely understood what was going on being demon possessed. But this I know he spoke and I was clean. When others found me, it's beautiful language, isn't it? What a a description externally of what happens internally. Sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Maybe that's your experience. I was a mad sinner, running after all kinds of wickedness. But Jesus spoke to my soul. And afterward, they found me sitting clothed in my right mind. He would say, I wanted to go with him, but he told me to come home and to tell you what great things the Lord has done for me and how he has had compassion upon me. Now, if you're a Christian, what are the great things that the Lord has done for you? Or put another way, where would you begin to describe the great things that the Lord has done for you? You can go back to eternity past. He loved me. Loved me even from before the foundation of the world. He loved me when I was born and began to rebel. He loved me when I was dead in trespasses and sins. He loved me despite all the blessings I had received and rejected. He loved me. He chased me. Perhaps you know the poem, The Hound of Heaven. Chased me down the labyrinthine years. He wouldn't let me go. Yes, I rejected him. Yes, I rebelled against him. It might sound a bit like the Apostle Paul at times. I thought I had to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. Or perhaps I was trusting in my own righteousness. But he never gave up on me. No, he had chosen me. He'd set his love upon me. And then there was that series, that conversation, that sermon, that Bible reading. That night when Dad knelt by my bed and prayed... That day when Mum came and wept over me. That time when I went to the prayer meeting and I heard the, the saints in the church pleading with God to spare men and women and children from the damnation that their sins deserved. He awakened me. He enlightened me. I began to understand something of the goodness and the glory of God in Jesus Christ. He made me alive together with Christ. I can now say I was blind, but now I see. He freed me from my sins. I am no longer what and who I was. I am much more than that. I am clean. I am whole. He has comforted me. He's taken away my grief and my shame. He's made me clean. He's changed me. In the desert of my soul, there are now green shoots blooming. Out of the darkness, he's made light. It's a testimony of God's grace. A great saviour and his great salvation for a needy sinner. Now the details are always unique. In school the teachers don't like it when you plagiarise, do they? We know where this has come from. Or perhaps sometimes even worse than plagiarism. I'm sorry, your paper looks exactly like your friend's paper. Now, who wrote it first, you or him, and who did you pass it to? In that sense, there's no final detailed template for your story of grace. How can there be when some have been called early and some have been called late? Some were called through a single sermon. Some were called through a lifetime of sermons. Some were brought up in a Christian home. Some never heard the name of Jesus until perhaps they were in their teens or their twenties. Some were brought in very gently, always inclined in the Spirit's work in their hearts. Others fought tooth and nail until they were sweetly subdued and made willing. There are so many differences in the details, but there's always this common core. Christ has loved me. Christ has given himself for me. Christ has saved me. I have trusted in him because he is able to make me whole. Charles Spurgeon, at the height of uh, the blessing of God upon the ministry there in London. There are two different summaries of the ways in which the church there began to bring people in. One of the reasons I find this both helpful and fascinating, instructive, is because it happened at a time when God was working very powerfully. And you might have thought they'd have just said, well, obviously God's at work, let's let's just bring in everybody who says they're a Christian. No, with regard to conversion, there were counsellors of inquirers. There were men who were set apart in the congregation, typically some of the elders, and people would come and they would talk to them about their conversion. And those counsellors looked for three evidences of true conversion. One focused on the nature of the individual's perception of his sin and dependence on the work of Christ. So do you know that you're a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour? Did the inquirer seem to have a clear, distinct, abiding sense of the seriousness of his offence toward God, a healthy sorrow over that sin, a desire to turn from it and cease cease such offensive behaviour toward God? Did he also recognise that God was willing to receive him through the atonement made by Christ and through that alone? One of the first things has got to be, were you a sinner? Oh no, I was a good person. You know how often... We have that kind of conversation. When did you become a Christian? Oh, I've always been a Christian. I'm I'm a good person. Oh, that's not a testimony to God's grace, is it? Second, did the present determination of the person's soul indicate a clear intention to live for Christ and overcome the opposing forces of the world? Did they feel the urgency of seeing others escape from the wrath to come? Has there been a change in behaviour? A change of life. Do you care about the salvation of others? In the estimation of these people, if you weren't telling others about Jesus, you probably weren't a Christian. You might consider that quite a high bar. Three, with a full knowledge of his own unworthiness and his full dependence on God, did the person have some knowledge of the doctrines of grace and that mercy was the fountain from which his salvation flowed? Your story of God's grace toward you. That the Lord saves sinners, and that we do not save ourselves. There was another book called the Inquirer's Book. This is with regard to baptism and church membership. Interviewing elders recorded their comments. Three things Is there clear evidence of dependence on Christ for salvation? A clear felt knowledge of sin. A deep sense of the necessity of the cross. Two, does the candidate exhibit a noticeable change of character, including a desire for pleasing God and for others to believe the gospel? Three, is there some understanding of and submission to the doctrines of grace? Sovereign salvation by God. It's quite simple, isn't it? I was lost, but Jesus found me, found the sheep who went astray. What great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion upon you. Now, you might still be saying at the end of that, what would I actually say, though? I can't write a psalm. I can't write one of Paul's testimonies. Let me encourage anybody who wants to be encouraged to read some of this book called Wonders of Grace. Now, let me give you a few examples from the Inquirer's book to encourage you and perhaps to instruct you it says here that the elders looked for four things a tender conscience a commitment or attachment to the means of grace a desire to come out of the world and a deep interest in the unconverted this is charles doyle charles doyle belongs to an ungodly family About two years ago, went out of curiosity to hear Spurgeon at the Surrey Gardens, but came away once or twice after hearing Mr. S. only to mock and jeer, but could not keep away, and by degrees felt some interest in the services. The sermons began to rivet his attention. He saw himself painted in them. His conscience was pricked. He was led to see what a sinner he had been, what ingratitude he had shown for all the Lord's goodness and for the great things Christ had done for poor sinners and that he would condescend to hear the cry of the penitent and he was encouraged to pray to him and believes God has heard his prayers and now he trusts alone in Jesus. He has felt very anxious about his ungodly family, prays continually for them and believes in answer to prayer the younger ones have been led to attend at the Surrey Music Hall and he desires to do something in the cause of Christ. I believe him to be quite sincere but preferred that some of the elders should see him before giving him a card. That's careful, isn't it? There's another line underneath this. One of the elders, a man called John Barrow. I agree with the above, and am satisfied. (laughs) This is Anne Hobcroft. Has heard Mr Spurgeon about ten months with much profit. Had attended Sunday school and often heard the word preached, but thought nothing of it until the sermon, The bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself on it, which awakened her to see her hopeless state. Very interesting sermon. Not sure entirely what it's got to do with the text, but Spurgeon's point is, you know, the bed is shorter than you could be comfortable on. Some of you are trying to get to sleep and you, know, you're, you can't sleep on the, the mattress of good works and the blanket of your own self-righteousness is too short to cover you. It's, it's a very illustrative. That awakened her to see her hopeless state. She found as a sinner she had no bed long enough to stretch herself upon. She was deeply concerned about her soul. She went home that night to pray and was a long time under conviction before she found peace with God through Jesus Christ. It was during prayer that God showed himself to her. She says Christ died to save just such sinners as she was. She ascribes the work to God, the Spirit. An entire change. All things have become new. No theatre now. No Sabbath breaking. The people of God are her dearest companions. The house of God, her sweetest resort. She is ridiculed by ungodly parents. But she trusts alone in Christ, enduring with patience. She prays much for her parents. She says she could give up all for Jesus. Her doctrinal knowledge is good. I gave her a card. That's the the indication that they'd taken her as a sister. James Dow. First came to hear Mr Spurgeon at Exeter Hall about six years since and has deep convictions under the word which seemed like a load about him. It's interesting, isn't it? A couple of days, a few months, six years listening to Spurgeon has for all these years been carrying about with him an almost unsupportable load has frequently under the word resolved to go home and unburden himself to his wife. But when he got home, something within him seemed to restrain him. The fear of coming before the elders or deacons or speaking with Mr. S was always before his eyes and seemed to shame him. All this time, the spirit was striving with him. He felt he could not stay away, and yet he could not come. Until about six weeks since, when on his knees, he earnestly prayed to God to enable him to come and cast away his fears. Suddenly the weight was removed and he rejoiced in Jesus Christ and felt he could keep it a secret no longer. And he told his wife what he felt and enjoyed. And she said, why did he not tell her before? That was just how she had felt. And they both rejoiced and have ever since. He has given his heart to Christ and now wishes to make a visible profession and obey the command of the Saviour in baptism. I gave him a card feeling perfectly satisfied with the genuineness of his conversion couple more this is susan avery hopes she is saved the blood of jesus christ she knows cleanses from all sin those who believe has been in miss evans class for eight or nine years i could not by all the manoeuvring in my power get this young sister to answer my questions And after I think nearly half an hour, the above testimony was all that I could drag out. That's underlined. And I was forced to tell her to make it a matter of prayer and again come to see the elders. A fine opportunity for one of the elders to let patience have her perfect work. Bit hard? How important is it to know that these people really are converted? I, I, I know what that. Give me something. Yeah, you sort of dangle the bait. Just you bite that. That's just just it almost just tell me what I'm telling you back again. You don't want to put words into somebody's mouth. And after all the maneuvering in my power to get this young person to ask them my questions, and after half an hour, the above testimony was all that I could drag out. Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin those who believe. Susan Avery, second entry. I gave this child a card to see Mr. Spurgeon, for, although young in years, I believe she is born again of the Holy Spirit. It appears from the account she gives of herself that at the beginning of the present year she went to Trinity Church to hear the New Year's sermon, and the words, This year you shall die, greatly alarmed her. How's that for a New Year's sermon, folks? She continued troubled in her mind until her teacher, Miss Evans, engaged in prayer with the whole of her class. From that time on, she gradually attained peace in Jesus. She's been a Sunday scholar at New Park Street and afterwards at the tabernacle for 13 years, ever since she was three years old. The last eight years, she's been in Miss Evans' class. This good sister speaks very highly of her and can recommend her to the church. As I have already remarked above, I gave her a card. Another couple of notes. I knew this young sister had seen an elder before, but who it was I could not discover, for the four report books had been taken home by some of the elders. On this evening there were three elders to see inquirers, but no single book for them to use. She has very little to say. And I think if the messenger sees her several times and instructs her, it will be well. Her brother is a member. Miss Evans recommends her, but she must see Mr. Groves before I can propose her, or if proposed, he must be messenger. What do they mean by a messenger? After this, an elder would go and visit the person, and sometimes talk to them their family or their employers. Do you see the change that they're talking about? Here's the last one, Alice Tatnell was brought to know and love the Lord by a sermon of our pastors in which he especially addressed the unconverted children of Christian persons, telling them how great their condemnation if they neglected the salvation of their souls. She went home at once and sought forgiveness in prayer and believes she found peace and salvation through the blood and merits of Jesus, is looking only to him for salvation. Old things with her have passed away and all things have become new. She has a full and clear understanding of the doctrines of grace and is able to give a very clear and satisfactory account of the work of grace in her heart. Hers is a very decided and interesting case of conversion to God. I gave her a card with very great pleasure. That's about what, seven? After page after page. Do you hear the variety? Do you hear the personal detail? And you hear the common core? Where he found me, how he saved me, how he's led me. What God has done for me and in me. What great things the Lord has done and how he has had compassion upon me. Now, I'm not saying to anybody, get that, find a good one and copy it out. (laughs) You know that. But what we want to know, friends, younger or older, is how and why you became a follower of Jesus Christ. Why you want to be baptised and why you want to join this church. We want to know how you've come to put your faith in Jesus, how he saved you from your sins and the life that you are living in obedience to him. There is no pass mark. In that sense, there's no right or wrong answer. You don't have to try and score points. We want to hear and see your relationship to Jesus Christ. Like the church in Jerusalem, when Saul of Tarsus first turned up, without the suspicion, I think, of anybody here being an arch-persecutor beforehand, we want to be able to say, in effect, yes, we can hear and see that this man, this woman, this boy, this girl, they are one of us. The story of simple faith and sweet fruit in the life. You just need to tell us what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion upon you to declare the grace of God in Christ toward you so that the Lord is honoured because it is seen that salvation belongs to him and that this church can have confidence. This man, this woman, they're one of us. Do you have a story to tell? Perhaps you've been afraid you don't have quite the right kind of story. Perhaps you've known it's not some of these things, but you weren't sure about some of the others. Perhaps you've been trapped by a certain tradition or a certain expectation or a certain experience. Uh, Do I need something more? Do I need something else? Has Jesus done a great thing for you? Has the Saviour had compassion on your soul? Then you have a story to tell. If you don't yet, you need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved from wherever you are, at this precise moment in time. You can do it where you sit, you can go home. I don't need to prescribe six years of trouble. You could come in six minutes, you could cry out where you sit. But when you trust in Jesus, he will save you. When you call upon the name of the Lord, he will deliver you. Do you have a story to tell? of the grace of God toward you as a sinner. If not, come to Christ and get one. The great things that he will do for you and how he has compassion upon those who call upon him. And if you do, then please tell it. Come to me if you want to. First, you can go to dad or mum. Perhaps there's somebody else you'd like to talk to first. Come to the church. Testify of God's grace in Christ toward you. We're not here to judge you. We have to make a careful assessment like these men and women did. But we're eager to hear of what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion upon you. That you can stand up and say, I am his, he is mine, I am a Christian and I want to be baptised Join the church and serve Jesus Christ in this place. What does it mean to give your testimony? It means to tell the story to your friends, what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion upon you. What does it sound like? It sounds like your tale of God's grace toward a sinner dead in their sins, made alive by the power of God through the mercy of a dying and risen Saviour. Amen.